Today, you will hear the views and ideas of our podcast guests. We're eager to showcase their expertise and provide a platform for their views, but they may not always reflect or align with the views of the positive effect or the MAP Center for Urban Health Solutions. Welcome to Podcast. We are created by and for people living with HIV. On each episode, we explore what it means to be Pause. We challenge the status quo and we share stories that matter to us. I'm James Watson and I'm HIV positive. If you're living with HIV, listen up. Our first meeting actually had 70 men in the downtown east side. And, um, and just asked the guys, what do they want at a, for a program? You know, And one of the main things that they identified was loneliness. That if we could address loneliness in a good way, in a sustainable and caring way, that many, many positive benefits would follow. We have a great show for you. This is Podcast. We have a very special podcast for you this month. A couple of months ago, Dr. Randy Jackson reached out to me with the idea of doing a podcast focused on Indigenous men's health. I jumped at the opportunity. Trevor Stratton immediately came to our minds as the ideal person to help share these stories and host the show. And thankfully, Trevor agreed. Trevor is a two-spirit citizen of the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation near Toronto, and he's also the Indigenous Leadership Policy Manager for Communities, Alliances and Networks, or CAN, as it's more commonly known. And he sits as a board of director on numerous boards and has had over a decade of experience working with Indigenous peoples and HIV at the international level. I knew Trevor really only through reputation and didn't have the pleasure of working with him until producing this show. And it's been such a pleasure. I'm very grateful to both you, Trevor, and Randy for giving PauseCast the opportunity to help showcase issues around Indigenous men's health. Randy and Trevor then brought forward the idea of focusing this episode on the Dudes Club. Now, the Dudes Club was originally established in Vancouver's downtown east side in 2010 and has become a proven model for Indigenous men's wellness promotion that's grounded in solidarity and brotherhood. There are very few health promotion programs for Indigenous and other marginalized men in Canada. So the Dudes Club is a fantastic place to start the conversation around Indigenous men's wellness. So on that note, I'm going to pass the show over to you, Trevor. Welcome and thank you. Thank you, James, for inviting me as a guest host for the podcast. I'm coming to you from the traditional territory of my own home fire community, the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. This territory shared the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, also known as Six Nations of the Grand River, as well as other Anishinaabe people through the Dish with One Spoon Treaty. The territory covers an area running roughly from the GTA, Greater Toronto Area, through Hamilton and the Niagara region in what's now called Ontario. I feel really honored to do this. You know, I've been working in the Indigenous HIV sector for many years, and I've seen a growing focus on Indigenous women, especially in research. But I don't see very often programs specifically for Indigenous men. I remember that it wasn't until my 30s when I finally felt like I'd become a man. I guess I was a bit of a late bloomer. But I would ask myself, what does it mean to be an Indigenous man? 
At the time, I wished that I could just sit around with other guys and talk about this, but I didn't find any kind of support for men back then. My dad wasn't around much as a kid, and I had almost no healthy male role models in my life. The Dudes Club would have been really a really, really great way to connect. What's great is that the Dudes Clubs are community-driven, so I want to have a talk with some of the leaders there. I invited two peer champions and the co-founder from the Dudes Club to come and chat here on the podcast. Bob Chippeway is a Vancouver Dudes Club champion in BC who also does other work as a research associate. Also joining us is Don Turner, coordinator of the Dudes Club in Chatham-Kent in southwestern Ontario. Don's also been involved as a medicine wheel facilitator for many years. Co-founder and medical director of Dudes Clubs, Dr. Paul Gross, is also here with us. Dr. Gross is a family physician focused on men's health and HIV. He has a full-time practice in Spectrum Health, a multidisciplinary clinic in downtown Vancouver. Bob, Don, and Paul, welcome to the podcast. So I want to start with you, Paul, to get an idea of why this whole thing started over 10 years ago. You know, the Dudes Club's been around for a long time, and new clubs are forming around Canada, promoting the well-being of mainly Indigenous men. But why was the Dudes Club formed in the beginning? What's the ultimate goal of the program, Paul? Um, well, the Dudes Club began, actually, uh, much like you first described, that that women led the charge, you know, in terms of organizations and uh, services devoted to them. The guys at Vancouver Native Health in 2009 were actually kind of jealous that the ladies had their own program and they had their own screening event called the Papalooza, which was a hugely successful kind of annual event for the ladies to come in and get screened for cervical cancer and breast cancer. And they got T-shirts and cupcakes and prizes. <laughs> and, and the boys were like sitting in the room next door thinking, what about us? And there mm. were a few of us at the time who were seeing many more initiatives focused on men. We had been inspired by a program in the United States called the Black Barbershop Outreach Program um, that got quite a bit of attention around that time. Obviously, Movember was picking up attention internationally. Up to that point, Trevor, there was only ever services for men that would be disease-focused. So you could join a support group if you had HIV, if you had hep C, an addiction issue, mental health. Like mm -hmm. you had to join these support groups on the basis of an illness rather than on the basis of wellness and, uh, and basis of prevention and connection to, to each other. And so we tried to flip the script on that, and the boys got together. And, and uh, our first meeting actually had 70 men in the downtown east side. And I was there along with Richard Johnson uh, as co-founders and, um, and just asked the guys, what do they want at a, for a program? You know, And one of the main things that they identified was loneliness, that if we could address loneliness in a good way, in a sustainable and caring way, that many, many positive benefits would follow. And so, uh, you know, that's how we got to our three objectives, you know, which is first to develop and, and, and build brotherhood and solidarity among the men in the group. And the second is to focus on uh, engaging men in healthcare, you know, through uh, attachment to clinics, screening initiatives, uh, and just talking about health in an open and welcoming way. Um, mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual aspects of health, of course. And the third was to help men build a sense of pride, purpose, and fulfillment in their life. And right. that was kind of the, the holistic approach. And, 
And our elder, Sandy Lambert, always talks about it being a very organic process. We never had like a five-year timeline or one-year objectives. You know, we just went with the flow as the community dictated. And, you know, here we are 12 years later. So it's pretty impressive. Wow, Paul. Sounds like a strength-based approach. And you're not looking for deficits. You're looking for strengths, right? Building people up. That sounds great. Who runs it? Who who runs these the dudes clubs or the dudes clubs in general? Um, so the men do each of the sites. So Don, of course, uh, is a good example, and Bob as well. Uh, sites mm-hmm. thousands of kilometers away from each other, doing very similar work. And uh, at a bigger level, or kind of more administrative level, the Dudes Club Society, which is a bunch of um, our amazing staff, do all the work behind the scenes to develop the programming and sustain the clubs that are working on the ground. So it's uh, it's quite a collaborative effort. Dudes Club Society was incorporated in, um, uh, well, just before the pandemic, actually, and we became a, a federally registered charity in uh, 2020 and 2021. So mm. up until that point, we're just kind of always looking for a home and had received funding in particular by Movember and the Canadian Men's Health Foundation to build us to the point of standing alone as an organization, which we do today. Well, I don't have to ask you uh, about funding because you already answered that. Let's talk to uh, our peer champions here. Let's go to Don first. Don, we've known each other for a lot of years. We've been working in the HIV sector with Indigenous people, and we know that many of us have experienced intergenerational trauma, stuff that's been passed down through the legacy of colonization. There's been so much loss or damage to Indigenous territories and culture and families and language and identity. Does the Dudes Club address this somehow, Don? Um, I can only speak for Southwestern Ontario. We do address some of that. Uh, If this is what some of our men um, come in there, they're sitting there talking, um, they say, I want to talk about this. And so we try to seek out people that have that knowledge and that gift in order to give them the good information, the accurate information. And then we work on the strength of the group itself where the men are helping each other heal. And it all depends on what they want to talk about. You know, it's like what Paul was saying. Yes, our guys here, it's driven strictly by the men. I just help facilitate it or orchestrate it. Um, I look at we're all in this big canoe and no one has a right paddle. And so collectively what we do is we help each other move forward in a good way. Then when we go out into the community, we're able to address uh, some of those issues um, that you talked about. We are very unique uh, here in Chatham, Kent, because we have five different reserves here. So we have a lot of people on off reserve that comes to dudes. And sometimes we have 10 men and sometimes we don't have, we might have just one. And then I keep telling them that even with the one that comes, you're meant to be here. You know, this yeah. is your place. And they tell us, say, wow, it's the first time I ever went to a place and really felt welcomed. And I can talk about anything, um, about my culture, about my family, about where I want to go. Um, if they're into drugs or HIV, uh, they get information and they support each other or going into a second level lodging home or a nursing home. So they know that process about going in yeah. and out of the community much better than I do because they're the experts. And yeah, so yeah. we uh, seek out their uh, advice. But when it comes down to HIV AIDS, 
Uh, I'm the expert in that kind that field because I've been positive for over 30 plus years. And mm-hmm. so I know about how to talk to the doctors, how to talk, deal with um, social services or something where some of these individuals don't have a clue that these services are available. Tell, tell me something, Don. Mm-hmm. What if, like, I used to live in that area. What if I showed up to a, a dude's club meeting and I was high or I had been drinking? Do you guys um, use a harm reduction approach? Well, harm reduction approach is you actually coming in being part of the group. You yeah. know, that's the best harm reduction right there. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the men hold each other accountable. If you yeah. come in and one of the guys might say, uh, uh, Trevor, uh, I know you're high, uh, but just be respectful for the other men that you don't trigger them. Yeah. And um, we had a guy, we had an incident about a month ago where some people are outside just having a cigarette talking. And one guy wanted to buy a cigarette off another guy. And the guy just came out of the building and seen this money. And he assumed that they were dealing with drugs. I'm out of here. They're dealing with drugs. But that wasn't the case. But what we had to do is have a conversation with them after the fact. And then the other guys just said, we weren't selling drugs. I was going to buy a cigarette. And they told me, no, put your money away. Oh, okay. I'm all right now. And so, yeah. but again, this is where I'm saying that the men hold each other accountable. Yeah. And then tell the guys, when you come, just be respectful. Uh, we talk about the grandfathers. We smudge when the guys come in. Um, and then the guys are having a rough time. We just let them be. And when they want to talk, they talk. No, I wish they had those when I was uh, when I was needing them. I guess I could, it would be fun now too, I guess. But well, um, I wish that they had this beer dudes club when I was growing up. Yeah, um, exactly. Because I really feel that brotherhood and that unity that is created, it's where I know I can say, uh, you know, I, I think I want to go out west. And then I can hook up with Sandy. I can hook up with uh, Robert and have conversation and bring my knowledge from here, there, or vice versa. Yeah, it's so cool that um, so many of them are popping up now, dudes clubs anyway. But there's still, there's still not a lot of programs for men. You know, it started about 10 years ago. We, we heard Dr. Gross talking about the men being a little bit envious of the women's groups. So, Bob, I want to ask you, why do you think there's so few health promotion programs for men? Well, uh, Vancouver's Dudes Club is like one of the largest men's health initiatives in Canada. We're are a unique men's group that's run by the men for the men. So my position, I'm a dude sub champion, which is a lead. So I just uh, help organize. We have two meetings a week in Vancouver. We're on the downtown east side, um, the precarious community. And amen would say, my time here, my two hours I spend with the dudes is my only time that I keep clean and sober during the week. So that's a good thing. And he keeps coming back. And we empower the men, sense of purpose. How I walked into these doors in 2010, I was a member of a positive outlook program at Vancouver Native Health, which uh, was an HIV uh, community place where I used to hang out and have dinners and see my doctors. And I heard from small talk, there was a men's group starting up. So I attended it and I had anxiety. I was still in my addictions. And I walked in, there was like 
70 men all gathered in this room. It was, it was outrageous. And what were they like? Well, who, who goes? Like, what are the people like? Who are the folks oh, like who attend? It, it, it's an open door policy. And we do have a code of conduct over the years that we've developed. Those on men behave themselves and we're all we're, we're good. And there's a lot, lot of stories that I can share about men in different precarious mm-hmm. uh, situations that were successful. So our weekly program on Thursday gathering, we offer men free haircuts, a hot meal, and and Dr. Paul comes in and gives us a Q&A sessions about men's wellness and, and, and questions. But on Tuesday, we have a like a think tank meeting where I, the men are mm-hmm. it's getting larger than the group itself, actually, right? The think tank used to be like a few men, four or five men. Now we got like 23 men. They're, they all want to be a participant of, um, you know, getting a, a prime job of volunteering, a paid stipend job. And plus just to be, find out what's going on. Cause we have a lot of outings. We go to baseball games in Vancouver, but also we do uh, a lot of traditional stuff inside uh, the dude stuff. We make uh, drum making workshops. We have all kinds of indigenous workshops that we do throughout the year. Uh, so we're very fortunate to have that. So, and, uh, yeah. what about um, like trans and non-binary people? Do they come as well? Absolutely, yes. Everybody's welcome as long as you pe- behave yourself and you know follow the code of conduct. You know, we have an open door policy kind of thing in a good way, and and that's one thing that I've learned doing things in a good way. For for me, yeah. um, I walked into these dude club doors twelve years ago. I was high in my addictions, and I got like. Uh, almost nine wow. years clean it's over now very nice yeah and, and it's just beautiful that what i do for myself right yeah. and, and i help everybody being involved with the dudes it gave me empowerment and a purpose in my life so that's what you know that's what i've got growing into right oh thanks right? for that thanks for that bob i appreciate that let me uh uh go over to dr gross hey paul in your role as co-founder of the dudes club what was it like to start it up? I mean, you're talking about that. I want to hear a little bit more about um, some of the challenges that you probably had to overcome. You know, it's interesting because we didn't set too much of a firm agenda. I don't think we faced the kind of challenges that another initiative might face because we weren't at the behest of an organization telling us what to do. And mm-hmm. we weren't stuck in a certain mold. We were actually creating a new mold and, and the mold that the guys wanted to create. And um, Richard Johnson was a dear friend of mine. He passed away, unfortunately, in 2015. And we're still very close with his family, uh, you know, his co-founders. And, and Richard and I would sit in the room at Vancouver Native Health after the meetings, just, you know, just chatting and, and debriefing about how it went and knowing that what we were creating with the men was something that didn't exist, which was a safe place, a sanctuary, you know, we, yeah, we kind of used metaphors like locker room or, you know, hanging together like a platoon of brothers, like these kind of, you know, well-worn <laughs> metaphors for masculinity and, uh, and how we assemble and, and identify together. But knowing that we were creating our own metaphor and what Don describes as a canoe or a circle, you know, that we hold <laughs> each other up. That's that that language actually evolved over time, Trevor. And because we were kind of open to that organic process. Um, I think we found more supporters than naysayers and more um, opportunities than challenges actually along the way. And, um, you know, each opportunity we gave, we came with that same kind of open spirit and lots of humor, lots of sense of humor for the guys. Mm -hmm. That's a great medicine and a great glue for us. 
And when we'd go present to other stakeholders or organizations that might support the expansion of Dudes Club, let's say up north in BC, um, that energy came with us and it was infectious. And the guys who were open to it, just like Don is a great example, you know, just desiring that moment, that opportunity for community building in a good way um, Mm. and for men to come together on their own terms. That's kind of where this all came from and evolved. Very cool. Well, I like to hear uh, Don's voice too, Don. I want to hear about how you, your early experience when you started up uh, three years ago in the Chatham Kent area. How did you do that, man? It was hell. I'm being honest. <laughs> it was hell. Um, I had support, like uh, Sandy Lambert. Uh, we were at a, a workshop that Randy put together about uh, Indigenous masculinity. And Sandy pulled me aside over a cocktail and says, why don't you start a dude's club? I said, Sandy, you told me that two years ago. Forget it. Um, (laughs) Because I was really involved in the AIDS world, um, in that movement and doing a lot of things and going to conferences. And so one day I just said, you know, why not? Um, United Way really supported us in the space uh, under the TRC. They gave us the space for a year. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then all of a sudden now um, I've been using a lot of it of my own funds and I have um, uh, a knowledge keeper or knowledge user here that works side by side with me, with the men. And then all of a sudden we just got a new office and uh, we outgrew the spot, the space that we were in. But there were headaches. There were hurdles. And being honest, there's a couple of times I just wanted to throw in the towel. But I'm a firm believer in don't create something. Have them in come. And just because it doesn't go my way, um, don't give it up. And so I just keep on going. So what I ended up doing was um, through my struggles, um, because I thought that canoe was just tipping all over the place. So I reached out to... um, a Métis woman, um, Jessica. And mm-hmm. I said, Jessica, this is what I like to do. I need help. And she said, great. And so she's getting together and with uh, Canada is one of the, my support person um, in Vancouver. Yeah. And uh, we're having a meeting tonight about next steps, about that support, having a support letter. So that way when we go and get corporate funding or capital, uh, funding, we have that support letter. Yeah, I feel good now. Oh, very cool. Okay, let's uh, let's uh, switch over to Robert. Uh, back to Robert again. How did someone get involved in the Dudes Club, Robert? I've I've heard about the Dudes Club, of course, and I'm in the Niagara region. What steps would I take to figure out where where's the nearest club? How how do I get connected? Uh, dudesclub.ca has their own page, two pages. They have mm-hmm. a Facebook page and dudesclub.ca. And, and you could Google dudesclub there, and we have uh, our page there and a oh, phone cool. number, and you can connect with someone, and it talks, about our pro- it talks about our programming and our history, what we've been doing for the past 12 years. And for Vancouver, if you're in Vancouver, we're at 606 Powell Street on, on the downtown east side. And uh, and it's an open door policy, very low barrier, and um, and and yeah. Uh, Trevor, just to kind of piggyback on what Robert said, because yeah. I'm in southwestern Ontario, my catchment area is from Windsor to Toronto. 
Uh, oh, that's a big have, area, Don. Well, it is, but we have some people from Ottawa that get on our Zoom calls. We have people yeah. from North Bay that get on the Zoom calls. We have people in Sudbury that gets on the Zoom calls. So, so you guys have hybrid meetings. Like you, you, you can zoom in. You don't oh, have yeah. to attend oh, in person. Oh, I didn't know that. That's we, we, okay. we zoom in on Sunday and Monday. And Mondays, we meet in person from one to three. And again, people can zoom in and yeah. be part of that group. We try to set it up where the guys can do either or, or they can do both. There's so many uh, dudes clubs now. Paul, it's really catching on. How, how do you manage all this growth that must be quite a burden uh well you know it's interesting like don said he asked for help and so did i uh you know okay. uh, about four years ago well no actually six years ago we were in the position of needing some funding uh after our uh, november research funding allowed us to you know demonstrate the impact of the dudes club you know we we did quantitative research qualitative research and and we have papers, you know, folks can can access to read about the, the evidence base of, of the model. And so we were kind of waiting for another phase of our growth and partnering with First Nations Health Authority in northern BC was the, the big opportunity of the time and, and, and remains one of our main partners because there's like, I think, 40 or so sites up north in northern BC that run uh, men's clubs. And we were, you know, we were aware of the fact that this would become kind of unsustainable unless we built a team. And so we hired a director, Frank Cohn, who's been phenomenal to ex expand the model and, and sustain the support that was required in the communities up north and to keep, you know, in, engaging with other opportunities, you know, that beyond the fact that Sandy and I couldn't manage all of that load in terms of the outreach and, and um, growth of the organization. Mm -hmm. And so Frank built a team. And now Frank and Dega Everst are co-directors of our organization. And uh, we pride ourselves in, in having a majority Indigenous staff. Our board is majority Indigenous. And we mm -hmm. want to obviously champion um, Indigenous ways of knowing and being in healthcare and understand the history of that, the seven generations approach, the four directions. And uh, as Don described, you know, sometimes we would think, you know, it's, it's too much. It's time to throw in the towel. But we know we're <laughs> part of a, of a process that kind of doesn't have a timeline. You know, like we're just yeah. kind of part of something that is growing. And luckily now- How many now clubs are there now? Well, it's actually hard to count because yeah. some <laughs> some clubs like Don just described these other communities, I, I'm amazed to hear, but not surprised because, you know, the network grows in, in very organic ways and we can't really, we don't like to label a club. The clubs in each community decide what they call themselves. So we don't take yeah. ownership over the number of clubs. There are no franchises, none of that. So wow. it's really Not a like model. Not like a McDonald's that, chain. No, no. <laughs> we, we kind of like to think of it more as an offering. You know, it's like a yeah. scaffold that here's the thing you can look to, to put, layer on your preferences wow. and support the communities to just, you know, we want obviously communities like Don's, all the language he's been speaking is a language we were talking eight, nine years ago. So that language you know, is attractive and appealing and then gets reproduced in a way that's relevant to his community. And I think that's the special sauce about Dudes Club because even the website Bob described, we dreamed of having a website in 2010. And, you know, the first website was really Mickey Mouse. Like it was very basic, you know, and now we have Facebook and Instagram and all our social media platforms and documentaries and all the dreams we had at the beginning, I think kind of come true each and every day in different ways. So to your question about the sites, you know, it's hard to count them because 
one guy in Sudbury might just be dreaming of doing what Don has done. And it may take a couple of years yeah. to get to the point that Don's at, but he's part of our community of dudes clubs. Well, hopefully these types of people will tune into our podcast and have a listen and learn some stuff about how to connect and how to set up a club. Um, so I've heard that the dudes club members are asked to leave their armor outside the door. And I, first time I heard, I was like, what the heck? I was like, men wear armor. And then I thought about it and I kind of get it. I have an idea in my head what it means, but Don, what what does that mean? <laughs> I'm glad you said you wear that. armor. <laughs> I used to, I yeah. used to, um, for us, I can only speak for, um, Chatham Kent. When we say leave the armor outside, that armor is that piece that protected you in the community, in the drug world, in the alcohol world, uh, dealing with outside stuff. When the guys come into dues, they leave all that baggage or that armor outside so they can really be their authentic selves when they're in the group with other men. And they know if you don't like so-and-so and so-and-so, leave that outside because there's mm-hmm. no room for it in here. So like one of the our knowledge keepers said one day, I don't want to hear it. It didn't happen in here. Keep it outside. Nice. <laughs> I turned around and looked at him and I said, that's what I've been saying all the time. I can yeah. talk about my HIV. I can talk about being arrested by the police. I can talk about not being a good dad. Um, I can talk about masculinity. I can talk about I want to touch or embrace my feminine side of me, but I'm afraid to because people might judge me. But in yeah. that circle or in that container. Okay. So, Bob, is that is that your experience as well with the armor? Like, Is that part of your the code of conduct? You mentioned the code of conduct. What's, the, what's that's included in there? Eh? What else is in the code of conduct? Yes. Or is it different for each group? Well, it's actually different but for each group, I guess, because uh, code of conduct was made by the men for the men. Again, I can't recall it at the moment. It's something to have respect for each other, be polite. Um, I can, actually can't recall it, but I know leave your armor at the door was because the men, they come in and they have like two arms in front of them. It was like a protection, just like what Donald was talking, talking about, um, protection to the street level there that, um, uh, the toxic masculinity and all those kind of things. And so if you come in, if you just leave that at the door and you come in and hang out with us for a few hours and, and you can pick it up on your way out the door because there's magic. There's magic inside the rooms of the dudes club. There's, uh, there's a lot of good things happening in there. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Um, Paul, I've heard um, cultural competence and safety and genuine connections come first when helping men's well-being, but what's the connection here between the men's group and healthcare? Can you make that a little bit more clear? Yeah, so there's there's a few different ways that we, um, phrases that we like to use over the years. So we like to destigmatize healthcare. Uh, like Don described, you know, that's, a, that's an issue that affects all kinds of aspects of healthcare. And when it comes to men's wellness, getting the the courage to open up in a healthcare facility, which by the way, is designed in many ways to not be welcoming, to not feel safe. Mm. We have to think about how clinics are designed and, and healing spaces are designed. 
for example, I was in a in the children's hospital for my son for a, an issue lately. Uh, he had surgery for his little belly button hernia, and, and we were waiting a while for that and uh-huh. got in. And the whole experience was so lovely, from what was on the walls to how the people spoke to you to the feeling in the space. And I immediately reconciled that with how it feels to be in an adult hospital. It's very different. It's not as welcoming. It's not as open and not as comforting. And so we know that that's what guys have talked about at Dudes Club. That's what they desire from healthcare facilities. And so there's that for sure. Like, how can we make healthcare facilities uh, and healthcare practitioners safe and welcoming for men and women? And, you know, this concept, of course, of cultural safety for all Indigenous peoples um, and any, you know, any people uh, affected by um, uh, by colonization. And, And the issue is that. At Dudes Club, not only do we destigmatize it, but we try to flip the script. So the healthcare workers come to where the men feel safe, as opposed to oh. having the men, we expect the men to go to places where traditionally they wouldn't go. Like, you know, we know at the beginning of Dudes Club, we had healthcare workers watching men die of AIDS despite ready access to medication. Like there was medication, supports, meals, social services, cultural supports. And men would still refuse to take medication that would keep them alive. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we have to understand why that is and create the spaces that are safe. And number one is destigmatize. Number two is try to flip the script. So have men, have healthcare workers come to where men feel safe. Wow. And then when men have to go into healthcare facilities, that we have support systems for that in place, which as you, as you well know, Trevor, is, is a is a momentum shift happening in healthcare in Canada to have, you know, navigators in hospitals and make hospitals feel like safe places. Um, but the funny thing is one of our, one of my favorite stories about how dudes club relates to healthcare is that one of our first conversations in terms of trying to share the model with people who are well-established in the healthcare system in Vancouver. Uh, and they would say to me, you know, as far as research funding, well, you have to show that dudes club reduces emergency room visits. Like yeah. that somehow this this club is reducing impact on the system. And I was like, well, why don't we look at it the other way around? How can the system help support the men to not go to the emergency room? Like we're right. talking about prevention here. We're not saying we want less of a bad thing. We want none of a bad thing. And mm-hmm. how do we yeah. keep the men healthy in community and ask them that question rather than use the metric of hospital utilization? And that data is not the only data. It's important data for some people, but if you ask the guys in Dudes Club, they are not that concerned with how many times they end up in the emergency room. Obviously, it's not a good thing, but that's not their top priority and it's not necessarily high on their value structure. Mm-hmm. And so um, we do try to kind of engage in those conversations and that's where the research came from. The questions we developed in our research work and that Don works you know, in community to to do the ongoing evaluation of the success of the club is always directed at the men. How does this work for you? How do you want this to work better for you? And um, that desire is fed and supported in that way. Oh, cool, man. I want to, I want to get back to Bob and ask you, Bob, you talked about the website and on the website, it says that dudes club is a proven model, which we know through research for indigenous men's wellness promotion that builds solidarity and brotherhood. I hear the word brotherhood coming up. What does that word mean for you? What does brotherhood mean in your club? Uh, brotherhood is very, it's very important to be belonging to um, together, right? A month ago, I had an indigenous man come up to me and he was happy in distress. 
Yeah. Emotionally. So I took him over to next door clinic, Kalia Liam, and, and I, I made an appointment with uh, an elder. And he saw an elder right there and then. They put him five minutes later, he was there. So he came back after his meeting and he came up to me and thanked me for doing that for him. And then the counselor came up to me the next day and uh, it said, thank you, Bob, to me again for bringing him in there. And so those are the things that I do for, for the brothers, right? Uh, um, it, just to be there and have, be there at, at that moment when someone's reaching out and the op- opportunity is there. In the past, I've helped people get into recovery programs. Um, there's people in our do sub that come back every week and, and they're in a program a month sober, six months sober, those kind of things. And, you know, it's happening. And one good story is a guy that comes by and volunteers once in a while. The only time he's sober is when he's with the dudes at like two hours a week. And that'd be the only time he'd be like not high, which is a good thing. It's going to be a long road of success, right? You know, we're going to paddle that canoe real hard. Trevor, if I could say one thing just to support what Bob just said, and I think it's really important to emphasize the way the Indigenous perspective is either valued or not valued, you know, by the society. And um, Bob described how he's on a road to success. And I was just listening to that story thinking a lot of people would think that's not success. He's only clean for two hours a week or four hours a week. But if your timeline, if someone came in from the outside and evaluated our dudes club in the first year and gave us a six month timeline, we would have been a failure. Yeah, that's the truth. And so the language and the perspective has to be more open. You have to be more willing to let things evolve in their own time and with the right space and the right support. And too often, I think really great ideas get dry on the line because we don't give them the time they need to grow. And uh, I think this is a great example of that. So it's actually not just for Indigenous men, Adon. It's it's for all men. But I, I understand that mostly Indigenous men come, and it's very it has a very Indigenous feel to it. And I can't help but think that Indigenous people are helping all people. You know what I mean? That's part of our role as Indigenous people. We're not just asking, "Oh, come help me." Actually, Indigenous people have so much to offer the world, and I'm so glad to see a model like this. What do you think of uh, the, the term brotherhood? How does that apply in, in your group? Do you feel that sense of brotherhood? Oh, I let the men define uh, brotherhood. The men do it. Mm-hmm. Where we can have a guy come in and say, wow, I feel welcomed here or I feel loved here. And it's about helping them building that canoe that they want to take out there or helping someone understand who they are, knowing who they are and where they're going, being able to do it in a non-judgmental way, Um, being able to, when they walk into that building, they see pictures of dudes on that wall. They see something that's going to reflect them. And I really believe that the men create that brotherhood. We have a tree when we come into our place. And at the bottom of the tree is the, is the, the root and one of the guys said, why can't we just take ribbon and put it on there? Because that root grows. It just stems out. And then we can find out where we're at. And they all come together as men, as brothers, and define how strong that root is going to be. 
is it being nurtured? And so for me anyways, that brotherhood is about connecting and meeting them in where they're at and not judging them because they're already judged. First thing they're judged, they go to the hospital, they're judged while you're uh, drug seeking. Mm -hmm. Second thing when they come in, if they go to social services and say, well, you're playing the system. And so these, our brothers are already being labeled before they even hit the door. But as brothers, they say, well, let's work together. And they work together and successful where it creates brotherhood of men's wellness. Successful. I hear a lot of examples of some successes, but how, how do you measure overall success, Paul? If, it's, if you're not using the, the model that the hospitals want you to use, how do you guys know you're making a good change in the world? Uh, well, I think um, over 12 years, we're up to 40-some communities and uh, have a national um, scope you know, in our work and an international scope. We've partnered with colleagues in Australia, uh, presented at conferences around the world, wow. um, and are connected. You know, This was all pre-COVID, a lot of very interesting work in New Zealand and Australia, Pacific Islanders, um, amazing work in indigenous communities throughout the world and obviously in North America and Turtle Island. And we were in that in that very active mode of sharing. So we measure success in many ways. I mean, one way is just the ongoing good way that things are being done in each of the communities. You know, Dawn is a perfect example of that. Bob is a perfect example of that. You know, even though Bob's in the community that we started in, he's still carrying the torch and carrying the same spirit. So we measure success in ways that would be relevant to dominant society, so to speak, uh, or Western ways. And we measure success in indigenous ways. And I think, uh, you know, we have a textbook chapter coming out later this year, a textbook that was written uh, globally. Editors and, and um, authors were asked to submit. Uh, I never thought we would write a chapter in a textbook wow. that would sit on, yeah. you know, shelves in an academic institution. We have, you know, lots of... Um, academic publications and documentaries, I think. But our measure of success is the ongoing good expansion, so to speak, or good growth of the of the initiative and sustainability of the initiative. And um, that the people we speak to and the voices of the men are celebrated, that they celebrate this model, that this model is, a, is an initiative that helps people, let's say, in, in an administrative or a bureaucratic government office say, wait a second, maybe we're doing things a bit backwards. Maybe we should yeah. listen to models like this. And the minute we get that maybe from them, we know we've succeeded <laughs> because they're <laughs> now starting to think our way, you know, and, and in a way that's that's broader and more open um, to change and to growth. And I think that's um, that's just different ways to define success, Trevor. Yeah. Change and growth, Robert. What do you think of that? I want to ask you, Bob, how, is, how has the Dudes Club impacted your life? What effect has it had on you? Wow. I know you're a leader, but you came, you came in like everybody else, I imagine. Yeah. Um, like I said, again, the, the Dudes Club started at Vancouver Native Health. Uh, there was an existing uh, program there called uh, mm -hmm. the POP program. I was newly diagnosed with HIV for a couple of years and and I, I started using, the, well, I started right. being involved with the, the POP program, Positive Outlook program, for see my doctors and food and, and stuff like that. And that's where I ran into the dudes. For my growth, um, I started to make a choice of being clean and sober almost nine years ago. Uh, I was 
already coming to the dudes and I had anxiety. I was one of the persons like the dudes would be like 80 people in this room and I would be the one in the corner. Yeah. For me to go up to the front of the room and get a cup of coffee, that was a major achievement. Like, whoa, right? Then I got clean and sober. My brain started to heal after a couple of years. And now I, I just fell into the more being involved with the dudes. And I, I fell in the position of being a lead. So I was, I was I gifted that opportunity to be a lead and uh, being doing it since. And the experiences that I've, I've had with the men, um, the dudes, it's amazing because uh, I've been involved, reconnected my culture. Uh, like I haven't been in a long time. We do a lot of culture activities throughout the year and I've been involved in men's talking circles and, um, <laughs> and the dudes have flying me all over the place doing health fairs and, and, and spreading yeah. the good news or spreading yeah. our work that we do. Right. It's exciting. That's quite the positive effect. Uh, That's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an amazing effect that I have a, uh, like empowerment and purpose, a uh, place to go to in this particular day and, and to help the men in a good way and, and engage in, in conversation in a good way and learning in a good way. And there's a lot going on. And, and you know, and that's how I, I feel yeah. every day. I'm empowered. You're making it's me like want to join your dudes club. Yeah, yeah, brother. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Don, Don, I want to ask you the same question. I mean, you've been talking about the impact it's had on some of the members that come in, but what about you, brother? Okay, wow. What about me? It's really impacted me. I am uh, since I've been a double amputee. Um, I've been able to still be part of the community, being able to show the men just because I have no limbs that I can still get out there and do the work. Um, that I can still sit in a circle and share who I am, how I got here, my hurdles. Um, once they see me, they go, well, you have a resilient man. What I do is we have a flip chart at work. We're at the dude's office. And every week we put a new word up, love, respect, joy. And we just leave it up there with the pen down there. And uh, so this week's respect. And any, anybody that comes into our office um, can pick up that pen and write down what is respect to them. And once we get all seven done, and then as guys, we all get together and we'll talk about it and have an elder come in and talk about it, that not one of them are wrong. By using that model, uh, I teach the medicine wheel. I use what I, pre what I teach. If I feel lost or anxious, I put my tobacco down, I talk to the creator, and I keep remembering that I'm spirit and I'm not a victim. And I look at when our guys come in and I tell them, they say, I feel like a victim. I say, Jerry, listen, <laughs> victims are only volunteers. So why don't you volunteer do some work around here? He looks at me. Well, he does. He looks at, we have a lot of humor, a lot of humor. And yeah. I really believe that with having humor, um, I've had you as one of my mentors, Trevor, as uh, Randy's one of mine, Sandy's one of mine, Denise. I can, the list goes on. But I took one thing from each one of you and made it, how am I going to be? How am I going to move forward? How am I going to help the community? And being involved with the AIDS movement or HIV movement for many years, I've taken all those tools over here 
and I'm applying on my dudes. And I'm letting the people have that space so they can talk. There's days I get sad because I can't climb those stairs like everybody else, or I see a piece of garbage on the ground. I can't just go out and get it and pick it up and put it in the trash. But I do get around. And I do things that I can do and when I need help. And I tell our men as well, I tell you or I help you the way I want to be helped. And we're even thinking about doing a retreat um, next spring. And we got the place already booked up. We got the people who are going to come in and, and help facilitate it, put picked up. Um, and so we're ready to go. But I'm taking everything that I've learned over the years and applied it to myself because I will never, ever, ever take someone or help someone where I wouldn't do it myself. Wow. Don, Robert, that is so damn powerful. I'm feeling your power, man. It feels good. Paul, I want to ask you, um, I know you're not a member who comes in the door and puts your eyes, but do you put your armor outside the door? I mean, how has this impacted you? This must have been quite experience <laughs> for you, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, it has for sure, Trevor. and. Uh, you know, as a, as a, we call me, I, I often got the label of token white boy um, <laughs> growing up in the, in the organization. And I, I see it that way. I've learned a ton as a, as a settler, as someone who has always valued indigenous culture and understanding. These are gifts that I would have never received had I not been involved in this organization. And our late elder Henry Charles taught me how to be how to be as a man, how to be as a man in his way, in his Musqueam way. And I'll never forget the gifts that he taught me, uh, the lessons that he taught me just one-on-one. -on -one. Same thing with Richard Johnson. And, and uh, so that's the personal uh, kind of joy of doing this work, the joy of connecting with community that as doctors, you know, we often are in our clinics or hospitals and don't really know what it's like to walk with our patients and with the community and understand the authentic experience. And so as Don described, when we come in, we take off our armor. I take my armor off too. Mm -hmm. Of course I do. You know, we yeah. all walk with armor. We all have decided whether or not to engage with the stoicism that modern masculinity requires, you know, and we say to ourselves, when I go into dudes club, it's so free. I can take this armor off. I can actually, we have jackets, vests in the, some of the dudes club sites that are physical metaphors of the armor being removed and oh, hung up on wow. the wall. That and, is so um, cool. and then, yeah, guys just hang out. And I would say to myself, you connect in such an authentic way with each other. And it brings greater meaning, of course, to my life as an individual to learn indigenous ways and to much deeper respect to the point where even Henry said to us, you're one of us now, boy. And I, I'll never forget that, you know, um, and I, I, you know, have, have taken so many lessons from not only Henry, but all of the men. And, and um, even now we're talking on a podcast and I think to myself, you know, like I said earlier about listening to Don's voice, it's like Richard speaking, you know, it's the same spirit that's been there all along. And even though he's in the spirit world, as is Henry and many of our men who have passed on, we recognize the value of the work we've done over the years and um, how it affects us as individuals and members of the organization. And, and as far as that metaphor goes with the, with the armor, when we pick it up again, when we walk out the door, we decide how that armor affects us. 
So we decide like in what situations we're actually going to be aware of the fact that we're wearing our armor and what situations we want to remove them. Like, God, it's not only dudes club where I want to feel like this. I want to feel like this in lots of places. So, you know, having that understanding and, and the pathway to that with dudes club has been connection to each other, to language, to culture, to history, to land, the healing power of nature, you know, all of these things that, that the men already intuitively know or want to reclaim. And, uh, and that's the beauty of this work. Yeah, you guys uh, have a very um, gentle way about you. I came into the, this podcast feeling rather electrified and just listening to you has calmed me down. I guess it's like maybe my armor came off too. So I, I want to thank you for that. But now we need to get to the most serious questions in the whole podcast. So let me ask, go back, go back to you, Paul. What would you rather do, be able to fly or read minds, given the oh, choice? F- oh, fly. <laughs> For sure. Fly? Okay. Yeah. How about you, Don? I'd have to say read minds. Yeah, that'd be a busy... And why that is because, well, well, I'll be busy because some of our men are crying in silence. Yeah. Um, and if I could read mine just to comfort them um, with uh, female energy, knowing that I have my masculine energy. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Bob? Would you rather fly or would you rather read mine? I want to do both. I want to do everything. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do both. Yeah. It'd be so interesting. Okay, let me give you an easier one. <laughs> Would you rather travel back in time or travel to the future? Oh, you got me there. I'm happy where I am right now. <laughs> yeah, you're not an either-or kind of guy, are you? What about what about you, Paul? Uh, I kind of agree with Bob. The present is a beautiful place. Yeah, we spend All enough right. time in the past and the future as it is, don't we? Presence of mind, yes. So, Don, would you rather be a good singer or a good dancer? I'm looking at my stumps. Um, I'd rather be a good dancer. <laughs> uh, I, I should have I should have screened these questions a little better. No, that's perfect, that, Don. Way to go, Don. <laughs> How about you, Bob? Singer or dancer? Oh, better singer. Better singer. Singer, okay. And got one last one here. Paul, would you rather give up social media altogether or become a social media influencer? Oh, God, give it up. Go way yeah, back, go way back, go way back in time. Sit around the fire. <laughs> forget about social media. Donald, how about you? Got to give it up. Yeah, forget it. No, no more po- podcasts for you. <laughs> and Robert, uh, last chance. What would you rather do? Uh, give up social media or become one of these social media influencers that everybody follows? Uh, be a social media influencer. <laughs> oh yeah, you're halfway there probably, or if not all the way. Oh, thank you, thank you, Miigwech. So. I want to thank you guys, Chimi Gwich, so much for coming and sharing the beautiful stuff that's happening at the Dudes Clubs uh, all across Canada, and as well as, you know, your personal reflections. You really opened up, um, and I learned so much, and I'm sure our listeners learned a lot too, and uh, maybe we could invite you back for a part two at some point. Great. Thanks a lot for, for joining us, and uh, we'll see you in Vancouver pretty soon. Hi, Schweika. Yes. Hike Schweika, yeah, that's what we say, cool man. Hike Schweika. Also, yeah. All right, good one. So hard to just stand up for yourself. You ever felt like you belong? It's got me wanting to be a G. 
So I'm stacking cash and disrespecting women and living fast. And we all alright with that? They said, holla at me, we can get it together. I know good and bad, we aware of each other. I'm prepared for the gutter, it's where I was raised. My mom was made freshie, then she twisted my brains. I grew up conflicted from the bush to the plains. From the plains to the bricks where we enlisted in gangs. I spit this ashamed, I couldn't save my brothers. Like the sweet grass and pray for my brothers. All we got is these tattoos and baby mothers. We ain't learned how to save shit from our forefathers We need less players, we need more fathers I guess it got me bothered cause we once were warriors We need less players, we need more fathers I guess it got me bothered cause we once were warriors Had love for the water, to breathe the air The end is so near, hope you're prepared Get ready Searching everywhere, still couldn't find it. But I never took the time to look inside yet. A message in a bottle washed up on shore. It read, You could be rich or you could be poor. Learn your lessons like you're stressing the score. Give away your possessions outside of the store. Always count your blessings when you're riding for war. And when you come home, you could tell us a story. This is over your head, like the depths of the sea. Don't drink pop, cause it poison our peeps. Life's a big game of avoid the police. I'ma leave a legacy before I'm deceased. My boys in these streets, and they ducking and diving. Say what you want, but we fucking surviving. We are lustrous and vibrant. We will survive, we just adjusted the climate. I suggest that you try it. Adjust, adjust. I don't give a fuck anymore. I'm so tired of being poor. I just wanna be rich. Can my natives have nice things? Can we do regular shit? Where the fuck's my privilege? That's it for us this month. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time on Podcast. And if you have any comments or questions or ideas for new episodes, send me an email at podcastforyou at gmail.com. That's the number four and the letter U. Podcast is produced by The Positive Effect, which is brought to you by Reach Nexus at the MAP Center for Urban Health Solutions. The Positive Effect is a facts-based lived experience movement powered by people living with HIV and can be visited online at positiveeffect.org. Technical production is provided by David Grine with the Acme Podcasting Company in Toronto.